Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We continue our series, Common Christian Problems. And today we're gonna launch into a common Christian problem that's exceedingly widespread amongst Christians and non-Christians, and that common Christian problem is depression. A lot of people struggle with depression, and it's really reaching epidemic levels among youth and young adults here in the U.S., probably around the world, too. Here's just some statistics. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services did an extensive nationwide survey of six 100,000 young Americans, and they found just between 2009 and 2017, major depression among 20 to 21-year-olds doubled. That's exceedingly significant, doubled in just less than a decade. Depression among 16 and 17-year-olds surged 69%. Twice as many, 22 to 23-year-olds, attempted suicide in 2017 compared to 2008. And in 2017, one out of five 12 to 17-year-old girls experienced major depression. And why these statistics, by the way, are just like referencing back to 2017, it takes a while to conduct these surveys, then collate them, and then publish them. But we do know right now, at least when they are open, college campuses are having record levels of mental health problems, and particularly those arising from depression and anxiety. Here's one from 2018, and it's a survey of almost 90,000 college students, and they found that 42% of these students felt, quote, so depressed that it was difficult to function, unquote. And 12% of the college students surveyed seriously considered suicide. One in six Americans are on psychiatric drugs. Many of them, if not most of them, are antidepressants. And 84% of these same folks are using these drugs long term. Now, all of that was before the coronavirus lockdown. And so all of these statistics are now out of date. And now these were phenomenal statistics, just like the major depression amongst 20 to 21-year-olds doubled from 2009 to 2017. I can guarantee you it's now higher because suicide rates are higher, calls to mental health helplines are soaring, So the post-coronavirus world is making the common problem of depression that much more widespread. And there is one post-coronavirus survey that I had access to, and this was the first wave, okay? The, The virus may well come in two or three waves, we don't know yet, but in May, this was late May, the Census Bureau did a survey of 1 million households, and it was several questions. And really, um, just 
so you know, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but in certain surveys or psychological instruments where you try to fish out, you know, something that might be troubling someone, you ask many questions. And then buried in those long list of questions are certain questions that highlight that the person could be struggling with something very serious. And you always ask it more than once. It's two or three times it's asked, but it's buried in a study. Well, this is exactly what the Census Bureau did. And it was in late May of this year, 2020. It was at the tail end of the lockdown for many people, unless you're living in certain states, they're still locked down, I guess. But 24% of the American public surveyed exhibited severe signs of depression. Uh, the worst state in the U.S. was Mississippi, and more than 50% of those responding from Mississippi reported serious depression. And overall, the Census Bureau survey found that the depression rates had doubled since 2014. So this is something that uh, is very widespread in our country. And as I mentioned earlier, this is obviously a universal problem. And actually, the United States isn't even in the top five countries of the world with depression. The number one country with depression problems is Iceland. Number two, Australia. Number three, Portugal. Number four, the United Kingdom. And number five, Sweden. And it's way beyond me to figure out why that is. So I'll just go on from there. All right. Now we're talking about common Christian problems. So in this series in particular, I mean, if you're listening and, and you're not a practicing Christian, you're welcome to listen in because I think you're going to find this exceedingly helpful. But Christians need to know that we are not exempt from life's problems and struggles. So there's three things I would like you to remember from this broadcast. First, good Christians suffer from depression, which means it means that there's not something wrong with you as a Christian because you have depression. Very, This is a tactic in spiritual warfare. If you're going through a difficult time to make you feel isolated and alone from God and others and what's wrong with me, and you'll be all tied up in knots. Good Christians suffer depression. Now, number two, this might seem very simple stuff, but if you get a hold of this, you'll have a foundation to work from. Number two, even if you suffer from depression, and very often while you're doing this, God may seem distant. Just remember, he loves you, and he still loves you, even in the midst of the depression, okay? You wanna hang on to that. And then number three, this is just kind of my strategy here. I'm gonna share with you in these episodes on depression, some ways to overcome depression that you may never have heard of. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not gonna be recommending any particular drug, but we do know that the most automatic solution for somebody going through depression is to prescribe some type of antidepressant drug. 
and they are certainly helpful for some people, but whenever you hear but, listen carefully because that's the person's main point, care needs to be taken regarding their overuse and their being overly prescribed. Um, 30 to 50% of people suffering depression and then taking antidepressants find that this initial treatment doesn't work. That's pretty high failure rate. Two-thirds of those taking an antidepressant have at least one side effect. And some of these side effects are very serious. Two being violence and aggression are the side effects known for about 25 different psychiatric drugs. There's one professor that found out that antidepressants double the occurrence of suicide and violence, particularly in children and adolescents. And you're probably aware that many of the school shooters were on antidepressants. Uh, Long-term usage of antidepressants can lead to other psychiatric disorders. And here's one you may not have heard of, but there are about 200 prescription drugs that have depression as a side effect. You know, you're watching the, um, if you still watch the evening news, uh, I've almost quit because it seems so biased. On the other hand, uh, every other ad is a, a drug ad, but you're watching an ad for, say, like an antidepressant and people are smiling, riding bikes and picking flowers and the music is just, you know, very uh, light and uplifting. And meanwhile, they're saying, you know, it can cause uh, uh, nausea, vomiting, uh, you know, depression, suicidal thoughts or this or that. Well, there's about 200 drugs that have depression as a side effect. And I'm not talking about antidepressants. I'm just talking about regular prescription drugs. And many times antidepressants are prescribed without an investigation on whether the depression might have been caused by a drug a person is already taking. So before you take, and if you're taking an antidepressant because you're suffering from depression, you wanna make sure an investigation was done that there isn't a side effect arising from a drug that you could be taking for some other condition. So what I'm gonna be doing in future episodes, I'm gonna be sharing some non-prescription but effective ways to help deal with crippling depression. Now, I'm gonna talk about the Christian Victory Tabernacle. It's make-believe, okay? But it's not too far from my own spiritual pilgrimage back in the day as a Protestant evangelical. Christian Victory Tabernacle is just a a made-up name, but I'm trying to paint an image of, for what many people, is a wonderful place to worship God uh, in evangelical settings. And an emphasis in many churches is victory that, you know, you come to Jesus and you'll have victory over any number of things, financial difficulties, family difficulties, and mental health difficulties. And, you know, it's it's uh, very attractive because you'll hear uh, testimonies from people who experience victory in a number of these very difficult areas, and it all goes great until one thing happens. 
is that you don't experience victory. And at the same time, everybody else seems to be experiencing victory. This is a real trap. And this is why I'm going back to number one of what I want you to remember today is that you are not alone at this. But there is a... um, There is an image portrayed in some Protestant churches that to be a Christian, walking in faith, you'll overcome all of these serious problems. Now, you say, well, I'm glad I'm a Catholic. You don't have to put up with that. Well, listen to this. There are some books and there are some conferences and there are some speakers that get close to this portraying an image that if you just embrace the faith, all problems are kind of gone. And personally, I feel that this is really harmful to very vulnerable people because it isolates them. And if you can isolate a person in spiritual warfare, I'm talking about the bad guy's point of view, then you really lead to defeat and not victory. Now, of all people, Catholics who pray the rosary should not, or even just know of the rosary, should not fall for this. Because what is generally prayed at the very end of the rosary is this. To thee, do we send up our sighs, mourning, and weeping in this valley of tears? Folks, that's realism. And this side of the second coming, we don't have absolute victory. Yes, we'll have victories. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not, see, the trouble is you take one truth and you blow it beyond its balance. Because with wonderful life changes that come with following Jesus, there also comes the realization that we live in a fallen world and there's going to be struggles and problems in this valley of tears. That's truth. It may not sell a lot of books or get great ratings, but it's truth. And people need truth to manage to be victorious in this world. Now, I'm going to spend just a little time showing you some parts of the Bible that talk about depression. And I'm not talking about having a blue Monday or something like that. I'm talking about serious depression. And it's not exactly, I mean, you know, if you're a preacher, you don't want to preach a sermon that's depressing. Or if you're a homilist uh, in a Catholic church, you don't want a depressing homily. So, you know, there would be a strong temptation to avoid these, but it's been my experience that we need these scriptures. We need to know that God knows We're not alone. And in his holy word, he even addresses this directly, not around the bush, directly. Here's from Psalm 45. And by the way, if you ever are suffering depression, my prescription for you, and there's going to be many things as we're going to be sharing, but just from Scripture, and that's one of the things you can turn to, is the book of Psalms. That's like in my prescription pad for depression, the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is a place to to turn if you are exceedingly joyful and happy and want to praise God with hallelujahs, you'll never find a more exalted portion of Scripture, okay? 
And at the same time, if you're down, if you're blue, if you're seriously depressed, you'll never be lower than the book of Psalms. It's there. It's the full range of human emotions. And I'm just afraid we've been a little too selective of avoiding scriptures that talk about the valley of tears rather than the realism is that sometimes this is where we are. So let's go to Psalm 42, starting in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? That's the psalmist talk for deep depression. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. See, this is a psalmist. It's realism and hope, but it's not like life is skating on a cloud. No. He says, Oh God, my soul is cast down within me. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of thy cataracts. All thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. By the day, the Lord commands steadfast love, and at night, his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. Do you see the the conjunction here? Very interesting. It's not like abandoning God. It's a full realization and admission and a cry to God of the realistic situation in the Valley of Tears, but it's yet coupled, just like in the next verse, with a confession of hope. He goes, I say to God, my rock, why has thou forgotten me? You could say that to God if that's what it feels like, but you don't have to lose faith in God. He ends again, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then he talks to himself in prayer as well as to God, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Psalm 42, if you're suffering from depression, somebody you know and love is suffering from depression, that's one of the scriptures you need to know. Here's one, again, from my prescription pad for troubled souls, the book of Psalms. This is Psalm 69. This is a Psalm of David. David is a man after God's own heart. Now, you might think it was a little simplistic when I said my number two point I want you to remember is that even though you suffer depression and God may seem distant from your situations and even your condition internally, God still loves you, okay? You need to have that and hang on to that. And here is David, the psalmist, called by God, the man after God's own heart, and yet he has depression. God loves him, and yet he has depression. Listen, Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Did you hear that? I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. What does that mean? I feel like I'm losing it, God. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Hear this. This is the man that God loves. This is the man of, who has that heart after God, and yet 
here's a man in deep mire who says, I don't have a foothold. I'm losing it, God. I'm weary. I'm crying. I'm crying out so much my throat is parched. My eyes grow dim waiting for God. This is the Bible. This is parts of the Bible we don't hear enough of. And I don't say we want to hear about this all the time, but we do need to hear about it because many of us, if not most of us, will go through times in our life where we go through the valley of tears. Here's another psalm, Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Do you see this? Yes, it was realistic. As a man after God's own heart, he was sinking in the deep mire, and yet here he's drawn up from the desolate pit, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Right now, right now, worldwide in the United States, we have a a, a serious epidemic of anxiety and depression and thoughts of suicide and acts of suicide. And, you know, the popular things out there are, you know, victory, Protestant and Catholic, and how to, you know, 10 steps to this, this, and that, and success. And it's great to have success, but it's also great to have God to go through the deep times and then share a testimony, a realistic testimony, how God brings you out. Um, Here's a Psalm of David, which says in the Psalms, uh, the kind of the heading, so to speak, which he sang to the Lord, Psalm 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drenched my couch with my weeping. You see, David would be considered eh, at least an archbishop or a cardinal. Now, you can imagine a really godly man, a man who's a man known of prayer, a man known as faithfulness to God, uh, a man who is a great spiritual leader. And imagine if he stood up to give his personal testimony and he said, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. This is spoken in the Old Testament. If you were to pick, you know, like five great men of God from the entire Old Testament, David would be among those five. And you would say, well, well, wait wait a second. If he's a great man of God, the man who loves God and God loves him, this shouldn't be going on. No, it did go on. And God put it in the Bible so we would know that it goes on so that we wouldn't be deceived by... Victory Tabernacles and Victory Tabernacle messages and books and CDs and seminars. No, this is the real deal. Now, hopefully this is going to be something you never heard before. And I came across it. I was in an advanced seminar learning how to use the Verbum Logos software doing original language work. And I came across a very unusual fact 
studying the Greek New Testament. Don't worry, I'm just going to give it to you in English. But it's in James chapter 5, it's the prayer for healing and verses 14 and 15. It goes like this, is any among you sick? And sick is the normal word for sick, so to speak, in the New Testament. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick man and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Now, here it is. I just want to draw your attention to one word in verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man. That word sick is different from the word sick in verse 14. I told you verse 14, the English word sick refers to a Greek word behind it that traditionally for people who are ill. But in verse 15, where it says the Lord will save the sick man, we get a bit more comprehensive view by the use of this word. And this word, komno, if you want to know, it's K-O-M-N, and it's a long O sound, sound, komno. It means to be ill or sick, but it can also mean to be weary, to be fatigued, or weariness of soul. That's what this Greek word means. Have you ever thought of Christian healing in a more comprehensive sense rather than simply the body, but also your mental health, the condition of your soul. And, you know, right here in Greenville, a uh, Eastern Catholic church offers a healing mass on Wednesday nights. It's a wonderful service. And this is the type of thing that you can and should avail yourself of if you're suffering depression. Because right here, the prayer of faith will save the person ill, weary, fatigued in soul or weariness of soul. This is, this is a word that describing the deep mire where there's no foothold that we read about in the Psalms. And just remember, you're never alone as a Christian suffering with depression. That is really important. And not only you're not alone, but you're loved because God loves you and is with you probably the best love scripture in the entire Old Testament is the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. But it goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 289 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.